Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is Alex Pearson. We determined that a threshold, and this is not a bright line, this is a, a value judgment on the part of the panel, had not been met. And that, as it, as it happened, means that we did not define a threshold since it was not met. But we were seeing, uh, you know, indications that foreign interference could be occurring. And indeed, I think it's been on the public record for a long time that this is an ongoing issue. Yeah, they don't know how much it was. They don't know what they were looking for. But uh, don't worry, nothing happened. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, March 3rd. And it is a Friday and it is a day that we all love and need. And it could be a bit of a headache later on. So I think we should just call it a day at noon and um, say it's going to snow. Because apparently it is. So we will get you. This is apparently changing, as you've been hearing a lot um, by the hour. So we'll get to updates through the show because, yes, there is a cutoff for when you should be on the roads. And um, who needs the headaches on a day like today? I certainly uh, did something today I haven't done in a while. I slept in. <laughs> I woke up at 4 and I thought, you know what, I got another 10 minutes. And then I woke up at 6.30. I was like, whoa, not good. I don't know what the show will be like today, but... Uh, We'll do our best, right? So here we are, uh, two full weeks of political spin on Chinese interference undermining our country, and there will be an investigation. It just will not be looking into China or those committing the alleged crimes. The head of CSIS, along with the prime minister, made clear over the last couple of days that they want the leaker of CSIS information investigated, and they are being looked for. What we actually need is clarity on how far the actual threat goes, and they can't say. Certainly not the gaggle of CSIS security and upper echelons of police who all testified over the last couple of days in Parliament that, at this committee hearing. You know, despite all the numerous reports in the media, all the smoke, they didn't see anything that reached their threshold of concern to actually investigate. But I kept wondering to myself, like, how hard were they looking? Well, the report doesn't say. And the report does not say that there was no election interference. But according to this group of experts, all the stories that we're hearing about Chinese meddling should just be taken with a grain of salt, which, of course, will suit the prime minister fine because he doesn't want actual clarity on this issue, which is why he has yet to give a straight answer on what he knew and when about any of the interference that we were told over the last couple of days he was regularly briefed on, despite him telling us he hadn't been. I mean, the elections commissioner said that she looked into over 150 complaints, and it was all resolved. Carolyn Simard testified that they would be opening more investigations, 
And CSIS kept saying, well, look, there are always significant risks and threats of interference all the time, but uh, at no time did they bother to flag it for the commissioner, and she didn't even ask for it. So I, I don't actually know what they looked into as far as their concerns. And I also don't know why no one bothered to ask for some action on it, because there were MPs briefed on this. Bill Blair was briefed, so if they were worried about invest, you know, interference that they were seeing, why didn't anyone investigate it? Well, because the task force has no clear mandate of what interference they're looking for. And if it does, they're not saying. It was just all very ambiguous. And that's because all the testimony reveals that any interference issues in this country were looked at from a national level. There was no actual investigation into individual ridings or individual candidates. So despite bringing all these concerns to the task force about candidates like Kenny Chu, a former B.C. conservative who believed he was being targeted by China, that wasn't investigated. No candidate or campaign was ever alerted that there may be interference going on. Aaron O'Toole's campaign, which brought examples of interference right to the task force, they didn't even hear back. So this thing was done from like a balloon as high as China would fly when they were looking at all this. And the experts tried to explain, well, you know, just because you see a story in the media, one piece of intelligence or a tip does not tell the story. But then you ask for clarity, well, what is and is not factual? And then you just get the, well, it's confidential. I mean, there have been no investigations at all by the RCMP. Not into any of the questionable donations to the Trudeau Foundation, not even the ones that are now being refunded. And there were no investigations into allegations of a clandestine operation. Sam Cooper reported in, uh, you know, these allegations involving as many as 11 candidates. That was, of course, flagged to, to the safety minister. I mean, how much interference was there? We don't know. We're just supposed to trust them. The task force and the members on it made clear there was a very high threshold that was not meant for interference, but we don't know what the threshold is that they won't say, but one of the recommendations in the report is that this mysterious threshold has to be lowered because it's too high. How low? I don't know. It's just too high to catch bad actors. And I think it's important to point out that testimony from CSIS officials during committee hearings last summer, they said they don't have the tools to properly go after stuff like this because their mandate for these crimes has not been updated since 1984. And when you're talking about espionage and interference, it is really hard to solve because it's very vague. So if no one's got the tools to actually investigate it, and the task force only viewed it from a national lens, and the threshold is too high, then anyone can actually catch anyone, then how can anyone say there was no interference of the election? And if the prime minister feels that this is being transparent, you know, when he's got his own civil servants testifying and then they go and report to him, well, he's blinded by his own hubris and, um, and they are fooling nobody. And they can blame the media, they can call critics racist, but Canadians do want to know. They want answers on this. They want answers on what the prime minister wants to go away. And uh, Thursday uh, evening, the NDP conservatives and bloc, they tabled a motion calling for a national inquiry. But it's not binding. So the next move will be left up to Trudeau. And as far, I think, as uh, the Trudeau government and all the officials who testified 
in Ottawa over the last couple of days, they've done their job. They've issued a report, they've investigated themselves, and there's nothing to see here. What was very clear is that all these officials who report to the Prime Minister are actually more concerned about who leaked what to the media, and that they are willing to investigate because they made sure to say that they are now looking for whoever leaked stories to the media. Now, if only they could take that vigor and motivation and go after the people that actually do this stuff, right? That's what I'm thinking. I know. Channel that energy into going after the bad guys. That is not going to happen. And look, interference is not new, and I think a lot of people forget this, but in the 2015 election, go back to 2015, there were millions of dollars in U.S. money that got funneled into environmental groups here, and they used it to target 29 ridings so that they could uh, bring Stephen Harper down. So back, you know, 29 candidates were backed by money coming in from the U.S., and 25 ridings get, did get turned over. And the environmental group lead now boasted about their campaign, saying, look, 96% successful. We got ridings turned. And despite the boasting, Elections Commission, they dropped the investigation. I don't know, it looks like a bit of a pattern here to me, but again, it's not new. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of will to get it fixed. I guess if it's a political advantage to someone, why bother looking into it? But frankly, this is not and should not be the partisan issue it has been made into. And it has been made into one, mainly by the guy being accused or asked to explain the interference. In Australia, which of course had its own issues with China and interference, they had to make some big changes. And the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Albanese, um, gave an interview, and he is watching this, and he says the only way Canada can fight back is to put as much light on this as possible, as much transparency, and put it aggressively back into China's face. And so far, that is not the plan of attack. So we'll see what the day brings, and we're going to talk with a CSIS official who's no longer with CSIS about what, what if anything, we're going to find out about now. And tracking the whistleblower and whether or not we'll ever get answers to any of this. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Foreign interference in our democratic institutions is particular, undermines Kane society. Foreign state actors who engage in these deceptive, covert, and hostile activities seek to weaken trust in our fundamental institution and processes, threaten communities, sow division, and ultimately influence policy. David Vignon, he is the director of CSIS and one of many intelligence and security experts who testified at this committee hearing over uh, the last couple of days on Chinese interference. 
Interference, as we know, not new, not uh, not with China, Russia, or Iran. I mean, and certainly not domestically. We've had environmental groups backed by U.S. money that meddled in the 2015 election, targeting 29 ridings. Uh, what is new, I think, to Canadians is just how unserious we are and how unprepared we seem to be to deal with it. Because none of these people were able to clarify the intelligence or the interference they saw, or if governments ignored warnings, or if... Any information was wrong in the media, but like the prime minister, Vignon made very clear that while there are no investigations ongoing into interference, they are now actively going to be looking for this CSIS whistleblower suggesting that the person might have a bone to pick with the prime minister. Yep, that's where we're at with this thing. Phil Gursky, president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, joins us. He once upon a time was a senior strategic analyst at CSIS from 2001 to 2015 specializing in the area of violent Islamist-inspired homegrown terror and radicalization. He's also an author of uh, many, many books, including The Latest Peaceable Kingdom. Phil, good to have you. Hi, how are you today? Good. When you kind of take a look back, given your uh, perspective, your positioning, you know both worlds, um, where, how do you view what we've heard and seen over the last couple of weeks? Where do you sit on what we're hearing? Are you good with what the explanation? How much time do we have? Um, yeah. <laughs> Depends it, on what you say. A, <laughs> it's a great question. So first and foremost, as somebody who worked in security intelligence in Canada for 32 years, so I worked at CSE before I joined CSIS, it is tattooed on your forehead that thou shalt not disclose classified information to those that aren't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, ready to receive it. So I I, I fully support the um feeling of aghastness. Is that a word? Aghast? Aghasticity? Mm. Um, at this stuff being leaked. But at the same time, um, we have a government that is willfully ignoring a very serious threat to our democracy by a foreign power that's not an ally trying to mess up in our elections and doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. So while I don't support the leak, I kind of understand why it was done. And I want to stress here as well, there's no indication that CSIS leaked the information. It could be uh, a client, so a customer of ours, who would have received the report and chose to leave. It could have been a foreign agency for all we know. It could be a five-eye partner. Exactly. So let's not, you know, point all the fingers at CSIS just yet. Hopefully we'll find out who did it. But um, so I don't support leaks, but I, I kind of get why the person may have done this. Yeah, and there was some indication from Mr. Vignon that said, uh, look, they could have had an axe to grind with the prime minister. And that may be, well, maybe because the prime minister hasn't done enough to, to do something. Either way, Phil, Canadians overall feel interference has happened um, and that not enough is, is being done to stop it. But if we were looking for clarity over the last couple of days from the testimony of these people, these are all people who report to the prime minister. So the way I'm looking at it is that the government looked into the government and now they're reporting back to each other. But what we got was, was no clarity on what interference they saw. And so my concern is they only looked at it like from this national lens. At no time did they go into writings and say, well, can he choose concern about interference? Well, we looked into that particular. We didn't. They didn't go on the ground and and look at things and so how do you get a clear understanding of interference if Aaron O'Toole's bringing it to you if you don't actually investigate it so those are really good points so the fact that you and I can have this conversation I don't have a dog in this fight anymore I mean I, I retired back in 2015 I'm not defending anyone I'm just a an average Canadian that wants to make sure my country is safe, that elections are free and fair. And you're absolutely right. One of the problems with having the government investigate the government is, well, the government calls the shots. Now, in, in a perfect world, what you want your security service to do is to be wholly independent of government. 
Yes, the director of the CSIS is obviously assigned by the government, but organizations like CSIS and the RCMP uh, have to have the freedom to investigate the very government for which they work. Otherwise, you must move to Uzbekistan or whatever, or mm -hmm. Russia, because that doesn't happen there. I'm a little bit skeptical about the alacrity, the speed with which we see some of these um, poo-pooing messages coming. Oh, yeah, there was interference, but it didn't affect the elections. To which my immediate response is, how in heaven's name would you know that? You can't determine why Joe Schmo in a Toronto riding voted the way he or she did, because you can't read a person's mind. Uh, yeah, there's been they've been too quick to sort of shove this under the table and say, there's nothing to, to see here, folks, move on. And I think that's what's, what worries me at the end of the day. The CSIS report is damning. And, and mm -hmm. I didn't work China at CSIS, but I had many colleagues who did. And I have every confidence that that report was based on solid intelligence. It was corroborated. It was carefully vetted. It was carefully worded. But the message was absolutely clear. The People's Republic of China made Herculean efforts to interfere in not one, but at least two Canadian federal elections. And that message seems to have fallen on deaf ears, um, going back decades, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, I, I have been talking about the threat of China and things like this with Sam Cooper for years, years, yeah. uh, like regularly, Charles Burton, Terry Glavin. They have been sounding the alarms on this for a very long time. So no one should be surprised um, if they've got like a, a pulse or, or they've been listening. Um, you know, but but what we hear in this in this testimony is, and I, I'm not arguing with them. Espionage and interference are very difficult to um, you know investigate because they, they're sometimes very nuanced. Um, and CSIS, but but then I go back to the time when CSIS testified just last summer. I mean, officials at CSIS said, "Look, we don't even have the tools to investigate the sophistication of China because we haven't had an update in the mandate on these files since 1984." So. Whatever we're being told about, you know, the investigations and what they're looking into, I don't know how they're doing any of this if they've admitted they don't have the infrastructure in place. I would push back a little bit against that. And, I, and who, who am okay. I to contradict the CSIS director? Like I said, I... I I'm not suggesting CSIS doesn't know what it's doing. I'm saying, like, they don't... They themselves feel like they don't have the tools that they need to properly go after it. And, and they do, already they do they have... The, yeah. Okay. They do have the tools. The act is very, very liberal, <laughs> a small L liberal, not large L liberal. Like, oh boy, how did I say that on the radio? Mm -hmm. um, in, in the sense that uh, it can be widely applied. So foreign interference is, is it funded under Section 2B of the CSIS Act. So Section 2 defines what the CSIS can do. It's its mandate. And I would argue that we've been looking at espionage and interference for decades, like going back to the old RCMP security service stage under the, and during the Cold War. So it's not that it can't do it. I, you could argue that there's not enough resources to do it. And by that, I mean right. human resources. You know, so when I worked at CSIS, it was, it wasn't all counterterrorism, but it was largely counterterrorism because this was the 9-11 period. And we had plots in Canada, Toronto 18, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe they weren't devoting enough resources to counter-espionage uh, counter and foreign interference. But I don't think CSIS, the CSIS Act itself needs to be updated. It, to me, the wording yeah, is maybe just it's not the CSIS Act. It's just the, the resources and the tools. You know, yeah, it's just not yeah, being it's given priority money and status, people. Right? Money and people, essentially, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when when the prime minister, I mean, look, uh, the the opposition parties, um, they want uh, an inquiry. Uh, there have been many others. Uh, Richard Fadden, former uh, director of CSIS, wants a, uh, an independent inquiry. Other people have come out. The former commissioner of the uh, Elections Canada says that we need to have this. There are many people asking that we need some kind of independent investigation. The panel uh, over the last couple of days said, no, we don't need that. The prime minister's made clear he does not want this kind of thing to go forward. 
Can we move forward from this without any more information or investigation? And and would, in your mind, the inquiry actually get to uh, beyond the politics of this? Again, a hard question to answer. I, I, another former CSIS director, Ward Elcock. So I worked for both Ward and, yeah. for, and for Richard. Um, he's come out against the public inquiry for the simple reason that the nature of the intelligence that is required to understand the nature of this threat couldn't be disclosed in a public forum. There's ways around that. We've done it before. We can have a you know an in in camera briefing for people who have the classification kind of thing. So Canadians yeah. will be frustrated. They won't get all the information. But I, I think the bottom line is that there's a, a level of distrust uh, and a le- right. level of disbelief towards the government's reaction. Remember, the very first thing the prime minister said was, "No one told me about this." Well, yeah. that turned out to be untrue. He'd been told about it, you know, as back back as far as 2019. So there's been so much information that's been misleading. Uh, I think that Canadians deserve to know more. My fear is that, like any other issue, a year, a week from now, it'll be, oh, how about them Blue Jays? Or you know, how about yeah. the Leafs in the playoffs? And and we're we're going to forget about it. And the actors that are that do not have our interest in in mind, like the Chinese, are laughing all the way to the bank because they say we got to go with it again. And, and let, again, let's re- remind your listeners. This didn't happen just in 2019, 2021. CSIS has been warning about this for 40 years across governments of both liberal and conservative strains. So it's a big problem and governments don't seem to care about it. Yeah, no, no question about it. It is a problem, but I guess we'll stay tuned uh, and see what we don't see or we do see. Phil, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you. By, by the way, should we assume there will be no more leaks or will that just... Continue. I mean, I I can't imagine we're not going to hear more. It's hard to think that we've, th- we've got it all. I think there will be. I think that you know, if more and more people in the in the um, aftermath of these leaks still don't see action being taken, right? Someone's going to start pulling up some more information. Again, I, I don't support that, but I completely understand it. There you go, Phil. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Have a great weekend. That's Phil Gursky, who's a formerly with CSIS. And uh, just authored a new book called Peaceable a Kingdom. Uh, so there you go. Um, you don't get the same you know, response from everybody, certainly. But the, the one kind of main theme is that there is an investigation needed. It's made like, how do you do it to get it done? But we do need answers. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It is tattooed on your forehead that thou shalt not disclose classified information to those that aren't, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ready to receive it. So I, I, I fully support the um, feeling of aghastness. Is that a word? Aghast? Aghasticity? Mm-hmm. Um, at this stuff being leaked. But at the same time, um, we have a government that is willfully 
ignoring a very serious threat to our democracy by a foreign power that's not an ally trying to mess up in our elections and doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. So while I don't support the leak, I kind of understand why it was done. So that is former CSIS agent Phil Gursky, who we talked to earlier, explaining why a CSIS official may leak sensitive information. Assuming it came from Canada, don't forget our Five Eye partners get all the same information, and Lord knows they're sick of us. We've done nothing on China, which is why they keep leaving us out of stuff. So maybe someone over there leaked it. The Prime Minister and head of CSIS have now made clear they are not happy with these leaks, and they are investigating and trying to track down the person who leaked it. And it is a serious crime. You uh, can't leak national security details. It's uh, probably a heftier jail term for that than uh, murder in this country. So, yeah, it is seriously uh, serious. Um, But we've certainly heard from many who feel that the leak could be out of frustration if they don't feel the threat's taken seriously. But without whistleblowers, you know, we wouldn't know about uh, whistle. We wouldn't know about Watergate. We wouldn't know about uh, the tobacco industry that got taken down uh, a few pegs, um, you know, when it was playing with the tobacco. SNC, we wouldn't know about. I mean, without whistleblowers, government would literally never be held to account, which may explain why we have some of the worst laws on whistleblowing and they just don't get checked. In fact, our whistleblowing laws for public servants is considered the, some of the worst in the world, and we don't have them in the private sector, and there's no urgency to change this. Let me bring Tom Devine into this conversation, legal director of the Government Accountability Project. He's out of the U.S. joining us now. Hi, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me. I don't know how closely you have been watching all of uh, the drama unfold here of electoral disinformation and interference by uh, China, but there's a very clear indication that the prime minister and the head of all the national security, they are going after um, the whistleblower in this. And uh, where does Canada, in your mind, what are we getting wrong when it comes to whistleblower legislation? Well, that's uh, attacking one of the first principles for a free society. Um, whistleblowers are people who exercise freedom of speech to challenge abuses of power that betray the public trust. Um, and um, without them, um, we don't know the truth about um, what the government or any large bureaucracy, public or private, uh, um, is is doing to us. Um, um, we're sort of out of the loop. And you know, society, you know, pilots who um, fly blind are going to run into mountains. And you have the same equivalent for societies. Um, uh, without the truth, um, we're vulnerable to uh, the dark side uh, of reality. But there will be no motivation, certainly not for the government of the day, which has been caught in many, many scandals because someone spoke out. Um, what's the urgency for a government to want to change anything if if it certainly won't help them? Um, well, there's there's two reasons. One is um, it's it backfires um, not to deal with with valid problems to suppress them because they fester and they get a lot lot worse. Um, and um, my advice to government leaders or corporate leaders is that uh, whistleblowers are like um, the bitter pill that keeps you out of the fiscal and liability and political hospital. Um, uh, it may be unpleasant in the short term, um, but if you um, uh, conceal the abuse of power um, by covering it up. Um, sooner or later, it's going to be a lot, lot bigger problem for you. Instead of a headache, it's going to be a heart attack. Um, and so in terms of 
um, really rational longer term self interest. Uh, whistleblowers are a key resource um, for good government or effective corporate management. Um, the the other reason why this would change is because the people demand it. Um, yeah. uh, in the United States, we didn't uh, upgrade our whistleblower law until um, 80 million voters uh, got behind um, the demand that Congress do that, and then they acted unanimously. Yeah, look, I, I think it will become probably a much bigger uh, focus after the fact, after this latest scandal, wherever it, it, it may go, people will start to pay attention and say, well, why does Canada have some of the worst and, and watered down uh, protection laws in, in the world? I mean, you would think, you know, a G7 nation might have more. Um, who, do, Which country does have proper whistleblower protection? Uh, well, the European Union has set the pace globally um, with the 2019 directive that really reflects global best practices. Uh, uh, there's a few other nations that have good laws uh, on paper, such as uh, Australia or Ireland. Um, um, they don't have such great track records, but at least the, the blueprint uh, is good. And to my great surprise, um, Serbia has one of the strongest mm -hmm. and most effective whistleblower laws in the world. Um, about 80% of the employees who file cases um, uh, have successful outcomes. Um, in Canada, it's um, it would be like winning the lottery to successfully assert your rights. Yeah, I mean, I get this. I mean, there's such frustration, I think, right now among Canadians who feel like something's going on and aren't being told the truth. And furthermore, they are there's such a lack of accountability uh, these days for those in charge when they do something. Um, they know they can get around it if they can just rag the puck and, and, and run out the clocks on explaining anything. Um, but again, unless we get these changes, I mean, without whistleblowers, we are literally never going to get anyone coming forward and we're never going to get accountability and that that does not serve our country and it's not just what they expose i mean in what they expose whistleblowers are the achilles heel of um, um bureaucratic um um, um uh, lawlessness and betrayals um, but just knowing that whistleblowers have the right, a credible right uh, to challenge a secret abuse of power has a wonderful preventive impact um, because um, no organization, no matter how corrupt it is or how illegal it's acting, um, can predict um, uh, whether there's going to be some some um, uh, employees um, uh, who um, they're not willing to sacrifice their humanity. Uh, they're not willing to, sec to sell out their communities. Um, right. They're going to commit the truth, uh, even if they're treated like they committed a crime. And that means that uh, a despot or a, 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 a dishonest or crooked leader uh, can never be sure of when the truth is going to come out and blindside him or her. Um, so they're, um, they're, uh, they're just an essential cornerstone uh, for a free society. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people look at the person who leaked this information as, as a hero. Um, and, and again, um, it's not necessarily seen like that by the prime minister or the head of CSIS, but again, they report to themselves. Um, and, you know, we've seen this before, um, you know, where they, they will go after people. I think it's more frustrating that they won't actually go after the 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 threat itself. I mean, are you watching? Have you been watching what, what you're seeing in this country? Uh, it's... Um 
a, a timeless tradition to um, <laughs> retaliate against the whistleblower um, rather than against those who are abusing the power. Um, because those who are abusing the power are doing it um, within the context uh, of an organization. And organizations will typically circle the wagons, even if they don't, even if the leadership doesn't agree, they'll circuit the wagons to yeah. limit the damage control to themselves. And that's really the essence of why there is retaliation. Um, and I don't think of it even as, you know, good versus evil. Um, it's like the organizational equivalent of an animal instinct. Uh, when an animal is threatened, it wants to destroy the threat. Um, you know, it doesn't say, well, maybe I've got it coming or something like that. And we're animals. Um, and uh, when a whistleblower uses the truth to threaten an organization, um, the, the knee-jerk instinct is destroy the whistleblower. Do everything you can to destroy the whistleblower before he or she destroys us. Uh, and okay. um, that means that um, it's going to require uh, a really determined um, 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 political uh, voice from the public uh, to demand um, that um, they be let in on the truth. Yeah, it's, the other uh, way of looking at it is they also want to scare other people from coming forward and leaking more information. Maybe that is the tactic. Having said that, just uh, Tom, before I let you go, if the if the information of the whistleblower is in another jurisdiction, let's say this is a U.S. person that that leaked it, are they are they culpable too? Is there a law in place that they also get um, you know uh, penalized? Uh well, generally, it, you know, it varies on a case-by-case -case basis. But um, from the other direction, um, whistleblowers from uh, all over the world can blow the whistle on um, fraud that involves the United States and in our finances. Um, uh, the Dodd-Frank law allows Canadian whistleblowers to challenge uh, securities fraud. Uh, and actually obtain rewards for it on, under the U.S. laws. And Canada is one of the most active countries uh, taking advantage of that opportunity. Uh, I think if you folks had a credible law instead of one that's tied with Lebanon for the world's worst, um, you'd be having a steady flow of whistleblowers. <laughs> Oh, what an honor. What an honor. I assure you it will not happen under this government. But, Tom, I very much appreciate you uh, clearing up a lot of haze on this topic. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. That is uh, Tom Devine. He's out of the United States, knows certainly about government uh, accountability. He's got the Government Accountability Project. And, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not a real, a real uh, strength of our country on this. I think we're going to learn a lot more about it, certainly. Uh, look, the last time a leaker got in trouble with this government, it was former Vice Admiral Mark Norman, one of the finest men in this country, distinguished, and uh, he made sure that it was known this government was trying to cancel a shipping contract, and uh, the Prime Minister made sure that he would be, you know, charged, and he was. They almost destroyed that man's life. So if you don't think this government will go out of its way to stop those from speaking out, they will. It did backfire, of course, on Mr. Trudeau, uh, but that is one of the I think one of the worst things that this government has ever did, what they did to Mark Norman. BC's decriminalization of hard drugs of a turn, I would say, off a cliff. So just weeks ago, we had been talking about the fact that BC becomes the first province to decriminalize the sale of hard drugs. So we're talking cocaine, heroin, and meth. 
And this was a move BC said was being done to help with overdose issues and supply issues and that the drugs would only be sold by regulated um, stores. Now we learn that Health Canada went around the province and granted a private pot business a license to make and sell Coke. And the loophole that the business used seems to be that they can supply the shortage of safe supply and help it. And the premier, David Eby, absolutely livid. He knew nothing about it. This came out of – a reporter asked him about this during a scrum, and he was like, what? Huh? What are you talking about? Because he wasn't consulted, and no one was apparently on this thing. So I guess Health Canada is freewheeling the old Coca licenses. Uh, it's interesting, though, because for all this debate about public health good, private care bad, I guess private uh, pot business are good for, for Health Canada – uh, let me bring in David Clement, North American Affairs Manager for Consumer Choice Center. Good to have you with us, Dave. Thank you very much for having me on. This was a bit of a surprise. When I saw the headline, I thought, is this a joke? How can Health Canada make a decision like this by going around the premier and, and doing this? This is kind of a, not at all what, what the plan was. So at first, I thought it was a joke. I thought maybe the the pr uh the pr group at that company got their months mixed up and was going to release this a month earlier than april fool um <laughs> but there are a lot of levels here right there there are questions of the the value of safe supply and mm -hmm. is it better to have cocaine users getting things that are getting cocaine that is regulated and not going to kill them because it's laced with fentanyl um, but then there's the other question of, well, what is the role of Health Canada? Is it to advise legislatures uh, and provide guidance? Or is it for them to make rules and change rules? Um, because if you look at it from that lens, this is something that public health regulators uh, in Canada have long been doing, is further encroaching onto the legislative process where we see regulations come through that haven't mm. touched any any legislature at all. Everything from from vaping policy to front of pack labeling on food to alcohol, you name it. Um, there's this growing kind of encroachment of, in many instances, I look at it as the nanny state. Um, mm. This is obviously a little different, um, but yeah, it's, it, there are two questions: Is there value in harm reduction? Um, that's a yes or no debate. Um, and who should be determining the value of harm reduction and how that's rolled out? Should it be the people whom we voted into office or should it be the people whom we didn't vote into office at Health Canada? Well, yeah. I mean, I got a whole bunch of issues like this. I mean, the, first of all, where were the guardrails on this? I mean, we're, we're talking about decriminalizing drugs and on the, on the premise that it is to help keep people alive. I think mm -hmm. there is a big discomfort uh, in this country of decriminalizing drugs like this because there's always the what could go wrong argument like we've seen in MADE and all these other things. But this is an application that Toronto Health has in to decriminalize hard drugs here. And if this is the route that we're going to go where we've got Health Canada going around um, you know, the lawmakers and all of a sudden okaying this. We've got hundreds of pot stores in, in Toronto. So it's the slippery slope that everyone says will never happen. But I, this is kind of what I see it as. And like, if you're not consulting with the premier, he's the guy who's got to deal with the fallout of this. And they just didn't even bother to do that. Uh, well, yeah, in, in many senses, it um, you could say that it unfairly uh, 
uh, implicates the premier uh, because he is going to have to face the music um, if this is not successful and useful. I will point out that if I had the choice of where people are going to get their cocaine, Mm. it is far better that they get it from this legal and regulated company that's already in operation in Canada distributing a controlled substance than the black market, which doesn't care, which laces products with God knows what, which is killing people en masse um, in, in British Columbia and elsewhere, and which fuels other violent crime, um, not just in Canada, but around the world. I mean, if you, if you have a choice between the two, the company uh, in question or any regulated company um, that would fill that void is obviously the preferred route in my mind. Uh, but there are some questions about how you get there. Um, and yeah, I mean, but I think I think I would like a third choice. Can we not get to a third choice? Because some will see it. Look, you're legalizing coke. I mean, this is the the first steps of it, and and at least just be honest with people. And I would just say, like, can we not change the conversation? I get that we want to keep people alive, but it's we've got to at some point have the conversation of not getting people on drugs to begin with. And the easier we make it you know, then you worry about all the gateway conversations. I just think there's a, there is definitely a conversation missing in this. And I think this yeah. is where Canadians will start to get very uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I, I think the, the end, at the end, you yeah. and I may end up disagreeing about what the best yeah. drug policy is. But the point is, is we're supposed to be having that conversation in the political arena rather than, having an unelected health bureaucrat kind of skirt around the rules to get a desired outcome uh, outside of that conversation. That's, I think mm -hmm. regardless of where you fall in the harm reduction legalization debate, it's important to know that we're supposed to live in, in a democracy which has those guardrails to ensure that the people whom we elect ultimately make these decisions at our um, on our behalf and because we want them, um, not regulate or not bureaucrats at Health Canada changing rules uh, arbitrarily, regardless of we want them, regardless of whether we want them. Stay tuned on this one. It did catch me off guard. I'm glad you can kind of explain it away and we'll see what happens because I have a feeling the Premier might have something to say on this, uh, but uh, we'll watch this. Dave, thank you and have a great weekend. Get a shovel. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's Dave Clement, uh, who's a North American affairs manager for Consumer Choice Center. Again, why do we care about this in Toronto? Because we have the same application into Health Canada to decriminalize hard drugs. And you got to wonder, how far does it go? Do we want cocaine, meth, and all these other drugs sold in your pot store? It's a lot different. And do we want Health Canada making decisions and going around those who we elect? It, it is absolutely a question that must be answered like whatever happened to the like cracking of a couple of eggs in a frying pan wasn't that a better strategy i would just like this conversation to go to how do we get people off drugs period not offering more but get them off and that does end the show thank you mr cory manuel i thank you Ms. heather purden i thank the team i'm alex pearson this is 640 Toronto.